I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Today's show is the final broadcast of 2018, and we use it to celebrate African female leadership with a special compilation encompassing extracts from conversations with two former African female presidents. The former president of Mauritius, Dr. Amina Gurib Fakim, and the former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. We begin our program with Dr. Amina Gurib Fakim, who was the sixth president and the first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. She reflects on some of her accomplishments in office as one of a handful of female presidents in Africa. Um, thank you. And as you say, uh, and as we speak, in fact, there is, uh, there is no woman at leadership position um, or women in power, for that matter, on the continent at that level. So already, I think, we are, we are starting at a deficit. Uh, but uh, again, the fact that we've had uh, women at this position... I think clearly shows that it is, it is doable, it's possible, but we need to actually bring on board the conditions, the ecosystem that will help bring more women at the level of power. And here I want to make a difference because every time we talk about, we have a conversation about women, we talk about women in leadership. There are many women in leadership positions across the continent and worldwide, but what we don't see is women in power. And if we want to make a, di a difference on the ground, we need to have more women in power so that we can leverage whatever we feel necessary to improve the condition of women on the continent. Now, having said this, um, you asked for uh, what I feel has been, you know, kind of uh, the, 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 the highlights of my presidency. You know, I, I come into the presidency uh, not as a politician. I come in as a scientist, I come in as an entrepreneur. And to me, these are two very vital uh, components which our continent needs as we speak. We are talking about a continent which is young. We're talking about a continent that is very focused uh, towards the, the, the future in as much as by 2035, the continent, the African continent, will be the biggest supplier of uh, of you know the human capital in terms of, of development. So I think what I, I, I have been able to do, or at least I feel I have been able to contribute to the conversation, is bring to the fore the necessity to empower our youth. Empower our youth before technology, empower our youth into the literacy of science. Now why it's important to have this literacy, uh, this literacy in science, is that for the first time, in the history of the United Nations, in September 2015, the United Nations adopted the Sustainable Development Goals where science is central to the, to, to the future of mankind. So recognizing this, and I think what I have been able through my discourse, and I still do it right now, is to bring on board the notion that we need to empower the youth with the tools of science and technology and innovation. Because when we have innovation, when we actually make uh, our youth think in terms of innovative practices, it's only then that the mindset will change and they will become entrepreneurs and they will become 
job creators and not job seekers as we have been made to believe all along. Because, again, with the way things are evolving on the continent, there is no government that will be able to create that many posts. 11 million graduates plus landing in the job market every year, it's impossible to create that many posts. But if these young people become entrepreneurs, become job creators, we are going to change the dynamics completely. So my message has been, and will still be, uh, post-presidency, is how we need to leverage, how to create the ecosystem so we can make more scientists and we can make more entrepreneurs, we can make more innovators, and we disrupt the system as we speak. That sounds like a great legacy to continue after establishing the inroads being in office. Yes. The first point that you raised was about having more women in power. And to be honest, I have been doing this show for going on four and a half years. And you are so right. We speak about women in leadership, but we do not speak about women in power. Mm. Yes, we don't speak about women in power because there are so many constraints. Uh, first of all, to put that woman in power, you know, there are so many, con- uh, I would say constraint, not in negative, not in a negative way. I'm saying constraint as we see it. We see, whenever we talk about a woman, when a girl aspires and looks up to a woman, what does she see in that woman? She sees a mother. She sees a wife. She sees a daughter. And then she will talk about, she sees a woman as an entrepreneur. She will see the woman as a scientist. She will see the woman as a politician. So that woman has to adopt, has to deliver on so many roles, on so many issues, that it's practically sometimes impossible to, 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 to be able to satisfy everybody. But if that woman is at the table of discussion, is at the table where decisions are being taken, the decision taken when the woman is there is going to be vastly different if that woman is not at the table. So this is why we need to have, but having, having said this, even if you are at the table, even if you bring in the contribution, you need many more women to actually lay out this roadmap to improve the livelihoods of women. Now, why do I say this is that since Beijing 1995, if you look at what the intention, the pledges were in 1995, we look at it 20 years later. I'm sorry to say, Malia, but we have gone back. Exactly. We are not making progress. And this is where I feel we need to keep on hammering the table to make sure that the, wo- the voice of the woman is heard. And like you said, at this point in time, there are no female presidents, no female in leadership, in power at this level yes. across our continent. Uh, yes. And I, I look at this and, and literally there has been a handful. There was yourself. There yes. was Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, Joyce Bander. Yes. And we mm-hmm. absolutely don't have enough presence of women. But mm-hmm. do you think that this is, um, and I, I, I know it's a, it's a complex issue, of, of a case of having greater acceptance from countries to believe in women, to nominate them for these posts? Um, you know, there, this issue is, is indeed is very complex. We can have a whole conversation on, on just this issue. I think, first of all, we need to get the acceptance, right? The acceptance from society, because we live in a in a in, in, a, in a very complex societal uh, kind of uh, situation, because uh, we leverage in religion, 
we're leveraging culture, we're leveraging, we're leveraging also uh, traditions, and we leverage all these. And all these tend to bring down the capacity for the woman to rise. And this is something that we need to be able to, 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 to actually address. Because if we are going to be constrained within these walls of, of all these what I've just said, we will see even less women uh, rising. But again, something I must point out, and I would like to say this again. Uh, there is a French word which I will use here. It's called marinage, right? It's kind of being a patron, being um, a role model, uh, taking the woman by the hand, taking the woman who's trying to rise by the hand. This is the responsibility of women. But unfortunately, Marie, I'm sorry to have to say this, but I will cite here Madeleine Albright who says that there is a special place in hell for those women who don't help women. And this is the reality as we speak today. There are so few women who want to help other women. And this is something that I want to actually address. Uh, eventually, I will set up my own foundation, my own structure, where I would like to empower that young girl. And I would like to develop this collegial attitude among these girls so that they learn to appreciate, they learn to value each other as sisters and take them and move up. One thing we haven't understood, that if we move together, we'll move up together, and if we don't, if we decide to go down together, we'll all go down together. Mm. So it's up to us to really make that difference. Joining us on the line today from Mauritius is a Dr. Amina Gurib Fakim, who was the sixth president and the first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. I came across a quote which has been attributed to you where, where you stated African women are at the heart of the agenda for the continent's development, but their contributions are rarely assessed and recognized. This is a real problem, and, and this issue definitely goes beyond just improving visibility and, and publicity. How do you think we can shift the balance? Um, again, we have to go back to fundamentals. If you look at, for example, uh, women's rights, uh, if you look at rights in terms of uh, accessing land, um, rights in terms of opening in some countries even a bank account, um, if you look at uh, the, the, what is made available to a woman who is trying to create her own business, and you find all the negatives there. There's no way that she will be able to actually make headway in these conditions. And now if you look at the contribution of women, this is where I feel that the contribution of women are not, uh, the contributions are not really valued for, for what they really are. Just look at the, the, the field of agriculture. There is no doubt that women feed the continent. And yet, these same women, they either do not get the necessary means to actually upscale the business, they do not get the necessary training, to actually uh, help uh, produce more on, 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 on whatever she's, she's, you know, all the negatives are there. So this is what I mean that the, the contribution of women is, you know, is not really valued for what, what, for, what, for what they do. I mean, we're not going to go into the narrative of unpaid work and women being housewives and not being recognized for this. I mean, this is again will be another debate in itself. But let us look at the hard facts. Let us get back to brass tacks. Let us look at uh, the areas of, of, of agriculture. Let's look at the field of education. All these, uh, all these areas have been feminized, but still we do not recognize them for, you know, for, 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 what, for, what, for what they've done. 
to society and to the family and to all the rest. So these are things that we need to have discussions on, and these are things that we need to keep on talking to make the society recognize the, the, the critical importance uh, of, the, of the contribution of women in this area. But in the political world where the policy are being made, and this is where it remains solely, mainly men, and this is where, that's why I come back again to my, what I said earlier on, this is where we need more women in power. Because if you're not going to change this narrative at that level, you will still, 200 years down the line, we will still be having this conversation. So you need to change the law. You need to change the, the, the entire system in a way that the woman, the girl child, is more empowered. And here, if I come back again to Mauritius, we still do not have a system where we'll be encouraging more women in politics. They've been talking about this famous 30%. But, again, generation-wise, it, it is very difficult for some of the white-haired men to accept young women coming on board. And when they do try to make it, I mean, there is, uh, you can be assured that uh, he or she will be, uh, she will be brought down big time. So this is, this is what, what, what I, I, I mean to say, that we need to have more women. We need to relook at our legal system. Because if we don't have um, the gender-friendly legislations, again, we will not be making headway. There are statistics to show that countries that have maintained gender parity, countries that have uh, kind of really uh, made good use of the talent of women, these are countries that have uh, uh, better economic growth. Because you cannot, we cannot look at the scenario of the way the world is moving where we'll be leaving 52% of the human capital behind. There's no way that we will be able to make progress. You need to leverage in this 52%. And how do you do that is to make sure that the talent of that girl is valued for what it is worth. And again, it comes back to the same old discussion. How do we bring her there? And this is, I think, the job that we have to give ourselves uh, to see to it that that girl has the, the, the ability, is, is kind of has got the right encouragement, the right kind of, uh, um, you know, mentoring. Uh, there, of course, at the other end, there are the right role models for, for her to look up to. So this is how we will bring the girl up and, and, and ensure that this is done. Because statistics show clearly that when women are empowered, the economy flourishes. So if, if this is the case, that's the bottom line, I think it's in the interest of everyone, every government, every country, to ensure that the women's competence is, is taken seriously. Education is a critical skill and a resource which contributes to girls' and women's development, both for the improvement and involvement of themselves, but also for the betterments of their families, whether that is greater opportunities from a career diversification perspective, increased earnings, improving health rates and mortality rates. You earned your PhD in chemistry from Exeter University in the UK. You've also served as Dean of the Faculty of Science and Pro Vice-Chancellor at the University of Mauritius. You've worked at the Mauritius Research Foundation as Manager for for research, and you founded the Center of Phytotherapy Research. And all of that wouldn't have been possible if you had listened to someone telling you that this is not a job for girls. (laughs) Exactly. You know, one thing that, uh, again, this is uh, what we have just said, is that people don't believe in you. People don't believe in women. When I was going to secondary school, 
um, people were saying uh, to my father, you know, why do you want to educate your daughter? She will get married, she will leave. So the first thing that uh, was important to me is when I came home with my O-level exam result. That was the first one, you know, because it's, uh, it's big. It was big in my days. Um, getting that, and I thought, wow, you know, I did so well. And uh, people had to stop and think, you know, this is a girl. I mean, she's done this. So it's, it, which means it's possible. Then the next big moment was when I was leaving the country to study abroad. I mean, that was a big moment because nobody, no girl had left the country to go and study, let alone to travel alone and to go there. Of course, go to England in the 1970s where there's no communication hardly at all, um, adapting to a new environment, new food, uh, new weather, you know, just everything. <laughs> so that was quite, uh, so I decided then also that I'm not going to sink, I'm going to swim uh, against all odds. And uh, so these have been very, very important moments uh, in my life. And again, made possible because of the investment of my parents into, and the investment and also the belief that their daughter could make it. And they were always supportive and they still are. And lastly, as we close out the conversation today, could you please share a a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to our young ladies listening to us on the continent? Mm -hmm. To the young ladies, I will say that um, keep dreaming. Never stop dreaming. Uh, Life, uh, whatever your career or your life personal or whatever, will never be uh, easy. You will fall down. You will rise. But never give up. Never give up, ever. That's my message. And be passionate. Enjoy what you do. Because if you're passionate about something or about a cause, you will not have to work a single day in your life. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Amina Gurab Fakim, who was the sixth president and first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Next, we hear from President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, former president of Liberia, who served as the country's 24th president and was the first female elected head of state. President Johnson Sirleaf, your political career started in 1985, and 20 years later, in 2005, you took office as president of Liberia. At the beginning, you were faced with many challenges, like rebuilding a country coming out of civil war, debts, or re-establishing lost infrastructure. Reflecting on your 12 years in office, what have been some of the most memorable accomplishments that your administration achieved? I always start off with my accomplishment with the fact that um, we maintain peace. Peace over 12 years uh, compared with the two decades before when we were always in conflict. I believe also I gave women a voice as I went around the country, particularly in rural areas, encouraging women to participate in discussions in town hall meetings, Uh, in government and 
We were able also to to get women in, in the professional realm uh, to hold strategic positions, countering what is usual, that they, they sit in the soft spots. Um, I always say that um, we gave hope. Hope to a nation that was in despair when we came into office. So I'm not going to mention the things like the infrastructure, the restoration of, of roads and power and water, because we've got a long way to go in those things. Uh, but I think the real things are the qualitative things about people being able to know that um, they now have a future. And when you talk about the qualitative components, those for me are usually the soft pieces, but they're the, the parts which get the machinery running. It's about, as you said, it's hope. It's something which works on an intrinsic level as opposed to an extrinsic level that motivates people to, to do more. Absolutely, and I, and I think that's where I, I put the emphasis. Um, that's where I, I encourage women uh, to take positions, I, uh, to get involved, to, to, to be economic agents, um, such as our, our farming women, our market women, uh, to provide them with a um, more comfortable environment and I wish they can do their work. Uh, those were the things that um, I believe are lasting. Uh, those are the things that uh, build the dignity of people and encourage them to, to take ownership in their country, to be proud of themselves. Uh, and so that's why I think it really matters. Um, and I'm glad that um, I was able to do that. I'm, I'm glad that today women, when I go into rural areas, they can stand and say, Madam President, thank you. You give us a voice. And that's one of the things that I think is remarkable about you. And I recall, it must have been about five years or so ago that I did a, a presentation. And I quoted you where you said, I look at those societies where women have been given the opportunity, and those are the societies that succeed. Absolutely. And I just, you know, women across Africa, women across the world... Uh, today can stand up and say, you know, we're part of this. We we can take charge. The future belongs to us. And that that's what gives me great satisfaction. As I move around, I meet young girls, and, and they come and they say, wow, you know, you inspire us. What can we do? I say, I'm just glad that whatever I represent, uh, your aspirations and your expectations... And if I can just continue to give you that motivation through my experience, then I think I really feel like I've earned my way and I've earned my place. It's a great igniter. And I have to say that when I was doing the research on you for this particular interview, it made such an impact on my views as a woman, as a person. And I really think that your personal story, your professional story, and your political story, and the journey that you've endured and encountered need to be written about and taught to other women in Africa as a role modeling effect to follow. At what stage in your life did you realize that pursuing the political arena and serving your country would become such an integral part of your journey? When I was in prison, 
uh, I think that's when one realizes that, you know, I have stood for something. It's something that, of course, offended, something that got you into trouble. Um, but to land in prison means you've taken a position. You've stood apart. You, you stood up for something. You took a risk. Uh, so at that moment, you say, you know, if, if I've come this far um, to the place where I am seen as, as, a, as countering the status quo, so to speak, uh, then I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what my heart tells me to do, uh, what I figure my cause is right. And at that point, you, you dedicate yourself to, to doing more, uh, doing more to working with the people, to being able to promote those principles uh, for which you stand. And so that's the moment, I think, when I was in prison. Of course, at that point, you never know what's going to happen to you. Uh, but I think it gave you strength, gives you courage. Uh, it reinforces uh, your commitment and your courage to those things, you know, that um, you hold dear, those things that you want to fight for in life. So that's, that's when one begins to, to contemplate and say, I've come this far, but there's another road to go. I can go further. Being a female political leader sometimes touches on sensitive points, whether it is culture, religion, tradition. In your experience, do you think women leaders face different types of expectations and demands to their male counterparts, and are they judged differently? Yes, because women leaders are always under the microscope. There's always somebody, particularly in a continuing male-dominated world. Um, they're looking to see if there'll be mishaps, uh, looking for errors, looking for utterances that may suggest fear, uh, the lack of determination. Uh, and so women are always placed under these conditions where you're being watched, you're being monitored, you've been looked at, because, you know, people don't want to see a wave of women leadership across the world because we've never had it. Uh, it's been male-dominated all along, and you can see a resistance, a resistance to a change in which we say the leadership structures are changing worldwide. That creates fear. Um, but uh, the good part about it is that uh, women have shown perseverance, have shown determination at, in all areas of society, not just political leadership, but leadership uh, in civil society, leadership in the church, leadership in our traditional societies, which are really strongly male-dominated. There's a breakthrough, uh, but that breakthrough also puts us under great stress to ensure that whatever is our example, that example sets a stronger course for women victories and for women ascendancy in leadership. So those, um, those expectations and aspirations of women stand out uh, when you're in leadership and you know that you've got to deliver because by doing so, um, you encourage, you motivate, you incentivize women all over the world to continue to seek even higher levels of position throughout society. And I would say also that it provides exemplary examples of women's competence 
on, on display to men to understand that women can do it and they can be successful in terms of their leadership. Absolutely. And every woman going into leadership demonstrates a certain amount of competence. They, would, they could only reach there by showing that they have equal, sometimes I say not only equal, I think super, more than equal strength. Um, because of the, the, what they face, because they're always being guarded, someone's always looking at them. Um, but women's competence, as a matter of fact, I say I go beyond competence. Women have equal competence when they compete, and that's why they win, because they've demonstrated that. But women also bring a special, special value uh, to leadership, and that's the sensitivity of being a woman, the sensitivity to humankind, uh, to being able to care about people, um, to seek the welfare of people without compromising the decisions you have to make, you know, the, the competence you have to demonstrate. Uh, and so women leadership, like I say, brings something more uh, to the society than just being a leader. It's that qualitative aspect that's coming through again. In 2011, you were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize with Lema Gawawi of Liberia and Tawakol Kaman of Yemen in recognition for the nonviolent struggle for the safety of women, for women's rights, and full participation in peace-building work. Please, can you tell us more about the efforts undertaken by Liberia that led to this award? Uh, we, we had a society that was, uh, in a way, lost a generation of young people, girls and boys, young men and young women, who for two decades had suffered conflict, had been denied opportunities uh, for school, for good life, um, for, for jobs. Uh, our task was to bring them out of that situation of despair, to start to deliver to them the basics to which they were entitled and that they had been denied for all these years of conflict. Uh, my work in that regard, my work with women, uh, the other Liberian, Lima Mbowi, uh, also worked very well with women uh, to be able to bring peace, to challenge the warlords that were there. Only women could have done that because they, these were vicious men. Uh, these were men who, you know, who had brought the, our nation uh, to the situation. And, and so I think the Nobel Prize was a recognition of my years of work with women uh, mind being able to, contrib to contribute to a better welfare, particularly uh, women in the informal sector, rural women who did who farmed, um, women who who were basically marketeers, um, who did their work sometimes in such hard conditions of rain and sun, sitting down in marketplaces. Uh, being able to improve that, I I uh, was able to 
to build markets across the country. Um, I established a, a program that I called 5500-5000. So that, that was to construct or repair 50 schools, uh, to train 500 teachers, and to give 5,000 scholarships to young girls. A very successful program. We call it the Liberia Education Trust. Uh, and I think that made a big difference in the lives of those 5,000 young girls who probably would never have gone to school. Um, I think it's a, it's a combination of all the many things that we were able to do uh, that convinced the, the Nobel Prize Committee you know, that I should be included to get the Nobel Prize. And that also meant for me uh, great motivation. Uh, the recognition of what I did uh, only inspired me to do to do more. Uh, as president, of course, I, there are so many other things that I had to do to move the nation from uh, the state it was in, to, to make institutions functional once again, uh, to restore basic infrastructure, uh, to start to promote democracy. Uh, those were those were the callings that that I you know, that I worked on, and Liberia still has a long way to go, let me say that. Uh, but what we've accomplished at least provides the foundation and enables uh, successive governments to build upon that foundation uh, to bring Liberia back to where it ought to be. President, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective disciplines is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people speak about perseverance, tenacity, hard work. Could you share with us what have been some of the key areas or success factors that you consider have contributed to your development? For me, it was taking risks. Uh, taking risk in in my um, early childhood to do things that uh, little girls were not supposed to do, like playing football. Uh, taking risks in in the classroom by by speaking out. Um, and as I progress, uh, taking risks uh, to challenge things. If I felt you know uh, that situation did not provide uh, did not provide the, the satisfaction to people did not promote uh, uh, welfare did not promote humankind did not promote did not promote the individuality of people so for me it was taking risk and but that risk also means courage you have to have the courage to take those risks and be prepared to fail um I say uh, success is failure upside down. Because if you don't know failure, you will not appreciate success. Uh, And so I would say to all, for me, the strength uh, to stand out, the strength to be different, uh, the strength to stand by what you believe in. 
Lastly, President, as we close out this discussion where you've, you've spoken about the tremendous work concerning women's development that you've done and continue to do, could you please use this platform to send a message of hope to all those women in Africa that due to circumstances, gender equality might not be first on their agenda, but rather that daily struggle of putting food on the table, making sure that their children are catered for, raising their family is more of a, a pressurizing reality. I encourage all women, young women, not so young women, to set their goals, whatever those goals may be. To do all you can, hard work, the qualification to get you there, the education that will provide you with the means of doing what you want to do. And once you've said that, stay the course. Stay focused, whatever it is. Be the best at it. Uh, seek to excel to the highest level that you can in your area of choice. Do not be deterred by obstacles because you will face them. But you can always overcome the obstacle with perseverance, determination, and courage. That's what's happening all over the world for women. Women will continue to progress as they seek what they want, determined to be the leaders that they wish to be and that should be. They'll get there. This has been Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to former president of Liberia, President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf.